Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this edition, after Sunday's results, is the Serie A title done and dusted, or is there still time to make a race of it? Also, crisis? What crisis? We're talking le crisis in French football. And with Leverkusen fans almost tasting the German Cup within their grasp, what are the chances of a fond farewell at the end of the season for their much sought-after coach, Xabi Alonso? Nicky, what a cracker of a match. Um, well, is it was it a cracker of a match um, in Italy over, on yeah, Sunday? I thought Would it was. Yeah, yeah I thought definitely. It was definitely. I, I was saying this to you guys just before we came in. Um, I, I'm never entirely sure if it's like appropriate with on the continent to, to, to bring in the Premier League and mention it, but um, I'm an Arsenal fan. People know this about me. And I was oh, watching Arsenal Liverpool the same gosh. day and I was going back and forth between that and the Atalanta-Lazio game as well earlier in the afternoon. And... Um, as, as much as I've enjoyed Atalanta this season, I was thinking going back and forth between those two games, you can see a real golf in quality. There, there is a, a, an echelon that, that Atalanta, despite being fourth in Serie A, despite being a team that I I think are, are really playing some nice football, is not at. And then you went on to Derby d'Italia and it was like, no, this this is that level and 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 absolutely and and perhaps even in Inter's case beyond. Because I I think they I think they are genuinely one of the best teams in Europe. Um I think they're somehow still not quite treated as that by some people, even though they were in the Champions League final last season and gave Manchester City really that? all they could handle. Well, I think part of it is probably because Serie A has slipped a bit and, and, and the overall standard of the league is not as high as, as it was, depending how nostalgic you want to be, you could say 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and I think that there is in all things Premier League centricness, which is why I, I slightly regret coming in with a Premier League comparison. But I but I I do think they're playing really exceptional football this season. And I think they showed it against Juventus. I think Juventus were not in the same way they've been all season, they were not also runs. They 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 made they made the most of what they have. But I think you saw what all of us who've watched this title race closely of thought all year as impressive as Juventus have been as dogged as they've been as stubborn as they've been to get up into this game with having only one loss in the entire season they are not at that level which Inter are Inter are really really again in my opinion one of the very best teams in Europe right now and you kind of felt that didn't you when the Juventus players came off the pitch you know you looked at the faces of Vlaovic and Chiesa in particular and they're like well what are we meant to do about that yeah. Like, like we're, we're just not going to win it this season, are mm. we? You know, it, it really felt like that. And it's it's weird to have, firstly, such a one-side, one-sided one-niller. But at the same time, as, as Dotton was saying at the beginning, it, it's really quite satisfying as well. You know, it, it felt like a, a full meal. And well, how, much, how, much of, how much of that is because when the Derby d'Italia means something and when there's something on it, 
it's a massive plus for Italian football. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the the Derby d'Italia is is such a fixture. Obviously, that name, the Derby of Italy, which dates back to Gianni Brera in the nineteen sixties, was was talking about a, a completely different era in Italian football. But it was a time when they were both winning league titles. Um, it, it, there's plenty of people who've looked in more recent times and gone, "Well, shouldn't the Derby d'Italia be Juventus and Milan?" Because, yeah. frankly, Milan and Inter have right now exactly the same number of league titles and Milan have won more in Europe. Juventus are streets ahead in terms of number of domestic titles won. Um, but this fixture has a life of its own for for other reasons that go beyond just the results. That go, it goes back to controversies with Juliano fouling Ronaldo and, and various sort of late season high impact fixtures even recently even when Inter went in the title race and they had that opportunity to help Napoli win the league a few years ago and uh, and then Gonzalo Higuain punctures them in injury time at the, at the death after they've been winning 2-1 on 10 men there's, there's so many stories woven into this narrative that the game always matters but to, to speak to what, what you were just saying um, Andy about why this one felt meaty the occasion yes absolutely and of course San Siro was brilliant like it always was and there was an incredible Medusa choreography from the Curva Nord but I think Juventus despite clearly being second best in this game I do think they gave as good an account of themselves as you could have really sort of asked them to and, and you think about Bremer with that extraordinary tackle to take the ball off a toes of the toes of Turan when he's behind him in the first half. Chesney making a couple of brilliant saves in the second half. Weston McKenney, who I think perhaps more than anybody embodies how this team has punched above its weight. Maybe that's a bad analogy given that Weston McKenney's lost a lot of weight this season, but someone who is making the most of the talent he has, going on this mazy run and, and putting Vlaovic in for the one real chance Juventus had. And unfortunately, Vlaovic takes a heavy touch. I think Juventus stopped this from being a blowout which it could have been they made it into as good a game as they could um but again I, there's just a an absolute quality gap there which you see in the likes of Lautaro Martinez you see it in Chiram you see it in Hakan Chalanoglu playing a 60 yard pass that takes out literally the that whole Juventus good, team that was a good pass I must say you know it's the first time ever that you and I have seen the the odd thing in the football match and both seen it on the television, which was, I saw Vlavic come off that pitch and look, like you said, like what we're supposed to do. And particularly after missing that chance that you talked to. Yeah, about, he's, he's Nicky, the one who could have done something better. <laughs> he's the one that should, but is, how does that distort the, the league when one team is apparently in another league from the but, others? But this, this is always the, the question, and I think particularly in modern European football, isn't it? The fact that, if you're going to have an absolutely elite team, it's unrealistic to expect like three other elite teams to keep pace with them. You, you know, you've either got a situation where you want a really tight league that is slightly lower on quality, or you have a team that's incredible quality that no one else can touch. So, you know, we might be having this conversation that we're starting to have about Inter in, about Manchester City. Mm -hmm. in, in in like a month and a half or two months. You know, PSG? P PSG, they're a good example. Uh, Bayern, um, if, well, we'll, we'll see of what old. happens after of this old. weekend. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. You know, they've still won the league 11 times in a, in, in a, in a row. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's still unusual to, to have that sort of gap. But I, I think, I guess the thing about Inter, Nicky, is it's, it's quite, it would have been quite easy to see the Champions League final as unexpected. 
as Inzaghi excelling as a cup coach all over again, albeit the biggest cup of, of, of them all. I don't think that many people saw them building on it. I, I, th- I think a lot of people, certainly from outside Italy, thought, okay, well, they've done something that's absolutely amazing, but they're under massive financial pressure. Mm-hmm. They're going to lose a few players this summer, and they did. But what does this say about their recruitment and how the club still manages to run despite this financial pressure? Yeah, I mean, the headline names, I didn't think they'd be as good as last season. You say goodbye to Edin Dzeko, you say goodbye to Romelu Lukaku, you say goodbye to Andrea Nana. These are not small pieces of the puzzle. In, in fact, very specifically, I think that run to the Champions League final in part relied on the fact that you could rotate Lukaku and Dzeko at times and, and let both of them be a little bit fresher getting into that late, that late part of the season. Brozovic as well, although by the, the end of his time there, he'd sort of lost his spot because of this Chalanoglu transformation where Inzaghi's brought him back to be the regista, the deep line midfielder, which has been phenomenally successful for him. Um, but that's another really talented footballer that you lost. And, and I think lots of us looked at that squad and thought that can't possibly go as well as it did last year. Um, I suppose it's a two-part answer. Um, part one is uh, Beppe Marotta, who, of course, for years and years was the chief architect of that Juventus team that won nine league titles in a row has been working his magic and doing things like securing Turam on a free transfer who's been incredible. Turam, I think it's still asking a lot and the season is still almost 50% of it still to run. Um, he, he has been individually better than either Jekko or Lukaku were. Now, that's partly about the fit. He fits fantastically with them. Um, Atala Martinez, the way that they're willing to be fluid and swap spaces with each other, I think really embodies again how Inter play under Inzaghi. The whole team is so fluid. Benjamin Pavard, who's another of these brilliant signings Marta's made, literally was playing as the right-sided centre-back in a three, but seemed to show up in the penalty area several times, including right before the goal, which was an own goal. He's there attempting and missing a scissor kick. Um, and, and it's fine because you've got this understanding in the team where Barella will drop into that space behind him, Damian will drop into that space behind him. There's there's so much fluidity, sorry to repeat the word, in, in the side. Um, and that's in Zaghi's management. The recruitment is Mar- Marotta's recruitment. He looks like he's on the verge of landing another coup even at the moment because Piotr Zielinski, who was a key starter for that Napoli team that won the league last season, heading to be out of contract this summer and looks like Inter are going to land him. So Marotta's recruitment has been exceptional. Um, there is still this question of, are we looking at a house built on foundations of sand? Because the club has huge outstanding debts and on and on this goes without any clear answer as to how those are going to be resolved. But the outstanding debts notwithstanding, um, if I go back to my initial point about it feels like a, a, a league of its own mm-hmm. um, or Inter feel like they're in a league of their own, surely they've got bigger ambitions then than just winning the Scudetto. That almost feels as if that's just part of the course for them. But actually, do they not see themselves as Champions League finalists again? I think I think the league of their own thing needs a little bit of pushback because even now they're four points clear. Yes, it's four points clear with a game in hand. That game in hand is against Atalanta, who 
even though I've just said not quite on level with Inter, they're still fourth in the table. So that's not a that's not a gimme. You don't take that as a. They've stayed there without Lookman yeah. in the last month as well, which yeah. is, has been big. He's been doing really well for a What's certain team. What's he been up team. to? Well, I can tell you on another podcast uh, called Africa TC. <laughs> I, I don't think this title race is is completely done. I think obviously there's no question Inter leading it, and I think the only real scenarios in which I could see them letting it slip is injuries. But I still say, and this is where you start talking about those sales, if Lautaro gets injured, we might have some questions. Yeah. If Chalanoglu gets injured, we might have some questions. There's a couple of players in that team who you look at and think those are really fundamental and and those are injuries that you might not handle as well. Because we saw even at the end of this game, Marco Arnautovic come off the bench and, and fail to score another sitter. Mm. He hasn't been a good signing. Mm. Alexis Sanchez is not uh, at the level of Lautaro or Tiramatour. So up front in particular, they are thin. Um, but yes, I think that well, definitely at the beginning of this season, if you offered Inter fans win the league and nothing else, they'd have bitten your hand off, right? That would have been an, an, a non-conversation. They want to get that 20th league title, put the second star on their badge before Milan do because they're both on 19 <laughs> at the moment. I, it matters. It really does. It of matters. Course, of course, yeah. Um, but right now, I think the team, uh, the, the club and its supporters certainly would aspire that there's going to be a, a another deep run in the Champions League because they believe they're good enough. They've hamstrung themselves because they didn't win their Champions League group, and it was a on tiebreakers against Sociedad, who they, they drew it twice. And, and I think they have a lot of regrets about not winning either of those games because they should have done. Um, and now they play Atletico as a result. So it's one of those things where it could it could unravel as good as they've been in the first round of the knockout stage. But if they get past Atletico, I, I don't see any reason why they can't go to the final again because I think they're good enough. I still think, obviously, like you can never assume about fitness, but I think when that draw would have come out the Perspex Bowl, Atletico would have gulped more than Inter did. Mm. I, I think even though Atletico low-key had a really good 2023, um, they're, they're just refining their way in the, the, the Champions League. I mean, we think of... 2014 and 2016 Atletico like it was yesterday they're, they're so different to that and they're very defensively suggestible mm. as well when you consider the options that, that Inter have I, th- I think that definitely makes them the favourites I guess the question is moving, moving away from Europe because obviously they're not in it this season what, what, what about Juventus because um, obviously they're really dogged as, as you were saying Nicky they're not going to give up that grind almost got them a point in this game really that they didn't deserve because they, they were hammered and they still only lost to an, an own goal I, I get the impression that they're they're not really going to go away what will they, say if they finish second in this season what will they be able to to take from it and how do they build on it do you think I mean is, is this season just results wise been the ultimate vindication of the way that Allegri wants to do things after years of exploring a different way of doing things yeah, I, I think Allegri has put his stamp all over this team again. Um, I already mentioned McKenney. I think Adrian Rabio is another player who was getting different different conversation because Rabio, I think, has obviously shown quality in different departments, but certainly was being treated very dismissively by a lot of people, including myself, not so long ago, and has been. Well, really they need ex- to keep him, don't they? Yeah, yes, yeah. they do. Been really excellent this season. Um, I think there's some really encouraging youth coming through at Juventus uh, and actually having been a team that was grinding out one goal wins the whole season prior to this 
Inter game, actually, the start of 2024 has been packed with goals. Mm. And part of that has been because 18-year-old Kenan Yildiz, you put into the attack and suddenly alongside Vlaovic has, has seemed to reinvigorate Vlaovic. His movement, the way he uh, takes defenders away off the ball has seemed to work really well. So everyone's excited about Yildiz. They've got Illing Jr. still there, who's, I think, probably deserving more minutes. They've got Matthias Sule, who they own, is currently absolutely tearing up the league on loan. Ooh. So I, I think there's potential for Juventus to take some really big strides forward, even from where they are. I think that second place for them, while of course this carrot dangled of the of the possible title challenge is, is exciting, I think second place for them would be a very solid place for a building block. And I think next season, I expect them to be stronger again. Yeah, just one question. If I could just go back to the uh, Inter situation for a moment. When you said earlier on that, um, you know, let's be careful in talking about uh, them running away with a league of their own. The one thing that you said there that struck me was just how important Inzaghi is as a coach. Yeah, he's never spoken about. When people talk about, you know, where's the next big coach coming from in Italy? He's never spoken about. I guess, Why I guess, is that? I guess the question is, does that change once he's got a league title yeah. in the back? I was having this conversation with um, uh, Minuzuki and Patrick Hendrick on Time Football Podcast. I do. Um, but Patrick Hendrick is a, um, is a international feed commentator on Serie A games, and he's he's really excellent. and And he was making exactly that point. And he was saying he he needs that first league title. He's, he's done incredible work in the cups. The fact that he was winning cups with Lazio, he's come to Inter, and he's reinforced reputation as the guy who wins cups between the Supercoppa and the Coppa Italia. Um, going to the Champions League final. But I think for the international sort of validation, he, he needs to win his first league title, which should happen this season. And then I think you're going to start seeing him get much more acknowledgement because he, he does deserve it. He's he's definitely, um, I can talk about talented players in this team, but I think when you look at Chalanoglu is the obvious one to keep going back to, but also Henrik Mkhitaryan alongside him. Mkhitaryan's having an exceptional mm. season. And that is in, to Inzaghi's credit, as is the fact that he's been doing something he gets criticised for a lot, which is making these substitutions often in the second half, rotating his fullbacks, making sure everyone gets minutes, which I think has kept the team fresher late into the season. You see, when you said international validation, you took me back to where you started, the Premier League. All of a sudden, I just thought, <laughs> Chelsea coach 2026. <laughs> do, do you know where it took me to? It's when you go on one of those trains in Italy and you haven't stamped your ticket beforehand and they're saying, validation, validation. And they're saying, English, no, Italian, validation, validation. It happened to me. Did you know you can use the train line app now? You don't have to. <laughs> How was I to know? How was I to know? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What difference a game makes in Serie A, but what difference a game, one fixture, 
uh, mates in the French Prem as well. Ligue 1, Marseille versus Lyon, Andy. Um, that was the game of the weekend, as it were. And, um, well, it didn't go the way that Marseille wanted it to go. No, it didn't. And I, I think a lot of people looked at this um, from the outside and thought this this match is it was capital for, for for Lyon and it was of course you know they're trying to get away from the relegation zone still um they're on the the, the back of a defeat to 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 Rennes at home which really cost them um now after them beating Lille in the Coupe de France last night they've won 7 of the last 9 mm. under Pierre Sage their interim coach well interim till the end of the season coach and you know that sounds great those two defeats have still really stung and still really cost them. But of course, because of all that talk about Lyon and them being the biggest spenders in Europe, in the, in, in, in the big five leagues of Europe, in, in, in the transfer window, and that it's remarkable that you know, a recent Champions League semi-finalist and such a big club has, has, has been glued to the relegation zone for, for most of the season. It's easy to overlook Marseille and the difficulties they have. I think coming out the back of this, which was a 1-0 win for Lyon uh, in Lyon last, uh, at Dessine last uh, Sunday, I think maybe now people are starting to realise that actually not necessarily Reno Gattuso is, is, is under pressure as the coach, but the whole club is under pressure. The players, the president, the board, the ownership, Frank McCourt, the culture, everything about it. And, you know, there has been a rising tide of discontent amongst those fans and amongst the very vocal supporters groups for quite a long time. But what you've got to realise, Marseille really hate Leon. As, <laughs> uh, as, you know, people would have seen. And the from, feeling is mutual. Yeah, but I think as we, it certainly is. But as we saw from, of course, those really unsavoury scenes that saw the first game originally abandoned when the Leon coach was attacked and, of course, Fabio Grosso, the then coach, was, was, was injured and all the rest of it. But what that means in a football sense is you cannot turn up to an Olympico because it's Olympic Lyon and Olympic Marseille. You cannot turn up to an Olympico and play like this. Now, if Gattuso was in a, a weaker position, in other words, if people were concentrating more on what's happening on the pitch and less on what's happening upstairs, mm. there would be some questions to... To, to ask. I mean, he was frank as he always is. You know, he said, we, we didn't deserve to win it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, th this team of his, that, you know, they've they've done a lot of work in the transfer window as well, Marseille. And Leon as well. Yeah, Leon, Leon have, but of, of course, because they've done so much work and because they needed to, because they didn't really get a proper transfer window last summer with the um, signing restrictions. I, I think it's, sort of taken away from again Marseille doing stuff in the shadows which is a little bit unusual for them the fact that they have been busy in this transfer window which has really underlined what bad business they've done in, 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 in recent windows you know that's normally what happens when you're busy in January it's because you've made a bad job of your recruitment before or because things have gone really badly in the first half of the season but it was it was remarkable in that Aminari hit the crossbar after three seconds Three seconds. He had a shot from the halfway line from kickoff and it hit the crossbar. It all counts. And you're thinking, or, or not as the case yeah, may be. And, and after that, you're thinking, okay, they've come here with a bit of earth. And afterwards, nothing. 
Mm. And all their big players just didn't show up. And even when Leon ran out of gas and they're having a few fitness issues, I think it's fair to say, which were a remnant of the Laurent Blanc era um, in, in recent games, even when they're, they're, they're closing them out. Marseille never felt like they were able to, to take advantage of but that's that. I mean that's something Gattuso's spoken about with his team as well, fitness issues. Mm. Sort of trying to force a mid season training camp almost in terms of the way yeah. they're approaching their fitness. And I don't think that's generally very effective to ask people in the middle of a pack schedule to try and build their fitness levels up is difficult. What's gone wrong then? Is this a existential crisis, to use a French philosophical word? Yeah, I think it probably is. And I I, I think the man who's really under the microscope at the moment is uh, Pablo Longoria, uh, the, mm. the the president. Now, he's got a really interesting background. He's, he's not even 40 yet, and he's been um, president of Marseille for, for a good few years now. He was the sporting director before. He was an agent before that. He's, he's got a very, very interesting backstory. So he's, he's worked at Valencia, worked at a number of other clubs as, as sort of director of football or adjacent to director of football. And... I wonder if this is actually the source of quite a few of their their problems. I mean, he was dropped in as almost an emergency president. But when that happens, you want a stability candidate, don't you? But of course, he is, by his nature, used to having really busy transfer windows. And for that reason, it feels as if nothing is, is stable. Now, you talked about Alexis Sanchez before. It's amazing to me how maybe he's realizing now how much more value he had at Marseille than he had at Inter. Mm. So Inter, he's not as important as he was the first time. Mm. He's a bit peripheral because he's got great players ahead of him and he's, he's getting on a bit. But at Marseille, the players loved him and the fans loved him. And he was the guy who really was, was the energy. He was the tiger in the tank, really. He was the guy who sort of gave that team emphasis and momentum. And I can't stress enough how important that is at the velodrome. Now, Obamian smiling at Tiger because, of course, in Italy he did that whole like I'm a lion in a cage, and he posted a quite gruesome picture of like a lion covered in blood over. Are you saying oh. I've demoted him as a tiger? <laughs> Tigers are bigger than lions, aren't they? A king of the jungle, though, isn't it? Because <laughs> he used to be like a guardian small talk. The only reason I know is because we used to do guardian small talk when I was on staff there we asked sports people questions and we always had to ask them who would win a fight between a lion and a tiger I don't know where that came from but that was always if one of the questions if it's a Bengal tiger yeah he's in with the shout tigers are literally tigerish yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I think you got the casting vote here thank you but, but I, I, I think it's, it's it's funny that Aubameyang has actually had an alright season after a, a, a difficult start mm -hmm. he cannot be that player he He's got flair. He's got personality. Mm. He can score goals. He can't drive a team like Alexis. Mm. And they're really missing that. Uh, it's only one of the problems. But if you look at the amount of transfers that Longoria has made in recent windows, I mean, last, last January, they broke their transfer for a record to bring in Vitinha for 30 million euros. Young player, needs a bit of time, enormous potential. And like, after like less than a year, they decide, oh, it's not working. And they, they send him off on loan to Genoa, which is kind of, Genoa is like the, the Marseille dumpster for <laughs> signings that don't work, isn't it? Yeah, I just, I'm just thinking about this sort of stability question though, and, and, and that actually that personality question as well, because of course, Atuza's only there in the first place because Marcelino looked around at this toxic environment around the club and, mm. and fans piling in and, and, and 
I mean, generally behaving as one of the most toxic fan bases in Europe. Um, and said, I don't want to be part of it. And it, it almost feels like you hire Gattuso because you think he's such a strong man, because that's his reputation that he can stand up to it. Um, and I was, it, there was something uh, Didier Deschamps, I think, said this week, uh, saying the problem is everyone wants Gennaro Gattuso, the manager, to be Gennaro Gattuso, the player, yeah. which is is not a fair expectation. And I mean, to be fair to Gattuso, he he does still puff up and shout and and do all that sort of visible stuff. Um, but I, I almost feel like in this situation, I remember when he was at Milan, there was at least one game, maybe a couple, uh, after a win against Lazio. I remember doing a win against Lazio. He like got into a huddle in the middle of the pitch and let all of his players just slap him. Like they were literally all slapping him around the face. <laughs> and he was saying this is like a way to get like um, attention. I say, oh, you know, make a joke about it. Oh, sometimes players can't get the team. That's how they can all... But I just, it almost feels like that's become his sort of, his role as a manager now is to just be like a punch, a literal punch bag. And it's like, okay, well, we'll mm. bring him in. And now everyone can do Gattuso out. And not saying he's a great manager, because I, I don't think he is, unfortunately. But it feels like the whole the whole environment around that club is sort of, again, toxic in a in a sort of structural way. And I don't think it's about who you sign in January that's going to fix it. But head coaches get typecast, don't they? Yeah. And, and he definitely has been, right? Mm. I know this, this is a, you know, intrinsically Marseille crisis that we've been talking about, but mm. I wonder whether there's a bigger crisis, just as we were talking about the issue in Serie A with uh, Inter perhaps running away uh, with the title, at least being in a different league, quote unquote, Nikki, I'm careful mm. about what I say, <laughs> from the others. But arguably, you know, the as we mentioned when we talked about that, it, the league out has the same issue, don't they? With it definitely P does. PSG. And I wonder, is PSG a, a factor in what's happening to Marseille, what's happening to other teams? I, th I think partly, yeah. I, I think it, they're an easy bogeyman to blame because, of course, Financially, with the backing they have, they should win the league every season. But that doesn't mean you can't be ready to take an opportunity when an opportunity arrives. So you think when Monaco did or Lille did, if we go back a couple of years, or Lille, if we go back, thank you, you're welcome. <laughs> or if, 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 if we go, if we go back even further to to, to, to Montpellier, it's going to take PSG dropping the ball for you to have a chance of winning the league but you need to be ready to catch that ball when it drops. And I don't think any of these clubs are. And I think really that having one ogre in the league, and we've seen it in Germany to a certain extent as well, creates a, a, a climate of defeatism. It's mm. like we can't get there. So what's the point in having our shit together? The point is coming second though, isn't it? Coming, yes. being runners up. Yeah, and also the fact that, I, th I think that's the thing, you should be able, at least or in terms of the size of the club, be able to name the clubs that are going to be in the Champions League places. Whereas in the Premier League, even if Manchester City are winning it most times, most times there's a pretty decent consistency of the teams that are qualifying for the Champions League which shows some sort of clarity of thought and planning, et cetera, as well as a hierarchy. But if you look at the what Lyon and Marseille in particular have done in recent years, and Monaco as well, I haven't qualified for the Champions League for, what, five years now? And, and the whole time that Vissen Ben Yedder has been there, being 
the best paid player who doesn't play for PSG gets 600 grand a month. Mm. He hasn't played a group stage Champions League match. I mean, that's absolutely unacceptable, really, isn't mm. it? And Marseille and Lyon, there is no reason, as you say, that they shouldn't be qualifying for the Champions League season after season after season. You look at the stadiums, the supporters they get in, the budgets, all that sort of stuff. And the fact that they have been so busy this transfer window, like I said, going back to what, what I was talking about before, it's an omission of failure. Mm. Now, Leon are showing from getting those players in and how they're getting over that physical problem at the moment. Finally, they've got a bench. So when the starters start flagging after 60, 65 minutes, mm. and we saw that in the Coupe de France this week, they, they can bring on other players. To, and that's how they close that game out against Lille in the end. But I thought it was really interesting that the guy who hit the nail on the head this week is Luis Enrique, coach of Paris Saint-Germain, because um, they beat Brest in what was quite a difficult game in the end. It took Brest going down to 10 men for PSG to close the game out in, in, in the final stages. Luis Enrique came out afterwards. He said about Brest, well, the good news is we're not playing them again this season. That's an extraordinary thing for the manager of PSG to say. <laughs> now, of, of course, it's a massive compliment to Brest and they've mm. been brilliant got in the top three this season. But of course, their budget is what, the 13th, 14th in the league, something like that. So they underline the fact that strategy is important as anything. If you want to start at least building in the right direction, there is no reason that Marseille or Lyon or Monaco or Rennes, who undercover had a really bad start to this season as well after spending quite a lot of money. There's no reason that they can't be as strategically savvy as, as Brest, but, but they're not doing it. So far, the conversation has been about uh, two leagues and uh, the quote-unquote jeopardy that the leagues may have. Let's talk about a cup now, uh, the German Cup. Um, earlier on in the week, we saw Leverkusen uh, get through against Stuttgart. Uh, a, a match to talk about? It was, it, was, it was great. And uh, my match of the week so so far, it, it, was, it was brilliant. Um, and it was, it was interesting, actually, because Stuttgart, of course, uh, third at the moment, mm. really outstripping expectation. Uh, Leverkusen first, um, going into the big game against Bayern at the weekend, which we'll come to talk about, of course. And it was interesting hearing uh, Denis Undav, the on-loan um, Brighton striker who's at Stuttgart at the, at the moment on a temporary deal, He's been brilliant. I mean, he scored 13 in 12 league starts so far and assisted loads as, as, as well. He's been outstanding and he's put himself without any international history and still theoretically being able to choose between Germany and Turkey. He's put himself at the front of the queue to be the starter in Euro 2024 for Germany. Nagelsmann absolutely loves him mm. and quite rightly so. And that's how they've got away with Seru Girassi who was in front of Harry Kane, of course, until he picked up that hamstring injury in terms of goals in, in, in autumn. It's, it's what has helped them to get past Girassi being off at AFCON. And Undav stood there after the game, immediately after this game, that was 1-3-2 by Leverkusen on Tuesday night. And he said, well, that was just a, a great game between the two best teams in the Bundesliga at the moment. And you're like... Are you trying to provoke Bayern to do something <laughs> at the weekend? Prod them. If, if, Go on. Well, Bayern do need a prodding now and then. But I, th I thought that was an interesting thing to come out with. And it wasn't outrageous either. Because mm. Stuttgart have been really, really good. And 
what so impressed me about this win for Leverkusen, I think it's significant for a number of reasons, even though it's only an inverted cup cause a, a, a cup quarter final. And most people see Leverkusen versus Bayern on Saturday as the big game of the week, and fair enough. But the important things here are firstly, Leverkusen hadn't lost a domestic match going into this. They're one nil down at half time. They came out like and everyone talks about Xavi Alonso's calm and poise. I reckon he gives an absolute paint blisterer of a half-time team talk because when they don't play well in the first half, they come out with a rocket up them mm. in the second half. They equalised and you're thinking, okay, they're back on an even kill. They concede a second. They go they go behind again to Chris Furich, um, who's been great for Stuttgart this season. And again, I think will be important for Germany going forward. Um, and you think, okay, they're in trouble here against a good team and they managed to drag it back. They managed to get the game won. And importantly, you saw Xavi Alonso going mad when Jonathan Tarr scored the winner. At least part of that must have been, thank God we don't have extra time before we play <laughs> Bayern at the weekend. I think that must have been part of it. But the, the other level on which it's significant is the fact that not just because they've got this big game at the weekend, not just because uh, they keep that unbeaten run going, but they've not won the DFB Pokal, the German Cup, since 1993. You know, they're called Neverkusen for a reason, or nicknamed Neverkusen for a reason. And this is a golden opportunity. This was like the final before the final, not just because these are two of the best teams in Germany, but you look at the teams that are left in it. So you have two Bundesliga Zwei teams in Fortuna Dusseldorf and Kaiserslautern. And then the winner of the game that was rained off last night between Saarbrücken and Borussia Mönchengladbach. So a third-tier team and a very much in-transition top-flight team. I mean, there is no excuse for Leverkusen to not win it from from this point. So it's, it's a massive opportunity. For them. I've got to go to you with the next point, uh, Nikki, because, of course, there is a Leverkusen in North London as well, isn't there? <laughs> but that aside, there is a lot... Of, well, I knew you'd enjoy that. Um, there, is, there is a lot of interest in mm. what Xavi Alonso does next, not least because of a certain vacancy that has been announced by a German coach at Liverpool. Uh, it all feels almost too like convenient, doesn't it? Because the last coach to knock Bayern off their perch in Germany was came over and became Liverpool manager, has had a very successful decade in charge, and now the next potentially the next manager to knock Bayern Munich off their perch in Germany could just step in and replace him. That would be a very. I thought I thought about every angle of it. I'd not actually thought about that angle. Yeah, of it. a very convenient succession, wouldn't it? Just like yeah. Liverpool, just wait until every time someone knocks Bayern out of the way, right? They can take the job. Of course, he hasn't done it yet. But if he did, it would be a very. Uh... But it's, you're suggesting though, that <laughs> they may have had a conversation, though, aren't you? Uh, aren't you listen, sure? I I don't have um I don't have that uh, contact to tell you that uh, that Xavi Alonso has or hasn't had a conversation with Liverpool. I think he's a very obvious person to be on a big club's radar right now. I think it would make total sense that they are considering him amongst other options. Whether or not his football is the same as Jurgen Klopp's, I don't, don't think it quite is. And, and so you'd be looking at a change of style, but perhaps that's inevitable because I'm not sure there is another Jurgen Klopp waiting anywhere to, to, to fill those shoes. I think... It's interesting, given we just said earlier this show about Inzaghi needs to win his league title first and then we can start talking about it. Um, 
Alonso hasn't hasn't done it yet. Um, but it is uh, an extraordinary season they're having. And as Andy just alluded to, it's not just that they could win one thing, that they're on for a potential treble if they win the Europa League as well. well they've got to be one of the favourites for the Europa League, right? Yeah. Them and obviously Liverpool. With Liverpool, yeah, and Milan. Um, but uh, but they're, they're the two, t- I, th- I think, even though Milan are in it, Liverpool and Leverkusen yeah, look, like, look like the two teams who are just like a bit too good mm-hmm. for for that competition to semi quote Joe Cole on 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 it. I mean, I, I, the thing with Alonso that makes me think that he could be suitable for Liverpool. And there are lots of reasons why he shouldn't do it now. A, he's having a great time at Leverkusen, and they won't get this opportunity. He won't get the opportunity to have that level of comfort lack of scrutiny, I suppose, at Leverkusen, anywhere else. Does it make a difference how successful they are this season as to what might happen to I him? Think, I think I think it does, because if you win a couple of trophies out of that three, you must think, I can't do any better than this. Mm. You must think that. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's extraordinary not to. Because Leverkusen is a, a very particular club. It would be a great club to work at. It's the sort of club where I think I would take my kids there and they think, Oh, what work would be fun here? Because like everything's there that you need. The training pitch is right next to the Bay Arena. They've got this like dynamic football-focused weights room. It's all very holistic and I, it, it just looks brilliant. It's like a football-themed theme park, really. And the, the, your eyes look like Willy Wonka's when he's explaining about the chocolate factory. Ex- exactly, yeah. exactly. You're trying to stay away from the lemonade that lifts you to the ceiling. It's, it's, <laughs> it's that sort of business. But I, I think as well it's it's like a little bubble really and it's a great place for someone like Xavi Alonso to to um exist and develop as a coach because you you get to learn you get to compete at a really high level but it's a stadium that holds 30,000 where everything's like there in this kind of small city so you don't get the scrutiny that you get at other mega clubs. So wherever he goes next, be it Liverpool or you know everyone else is assuming Real Madrid or, or, or Bayern at some point because of his history with those and because of how highly rated he is as a coach, the change in atmosphere is going to be massive for him. And he's not unaware of that. I mean, he said when I spoke to him in November, look, I do everything at my own pace and I'll go when I'm ready. Not when someone tells me it's the right time to go. At the moment, I'm having a great time here. So he's he's been like, at the moment, let's live in the present moment. So he's not made any promises beyond this season. But at the same time, he's not said, right, I get offered this job, I'm, I'm definitely going to take it. And, you know, regardless of what the club means to him, I think he will go at the right time. The question is, is it the right time to follow Klopp? Because following a coach that's been in charge for or nearly nine years by the, the the time he leaves. That's an extraordinary amount of time mm. in the modern era. It's almost, if you compare the different times and how long coaches tend to last, it's almost like succeeding Sir Alex Ferguson. Mm. Now, you could argue, of course, that Liverpool are being left in a better state by Klopp than Sir Alex Ferguson left the Manchester United team because they've sort of started that rebuild, certainly last summer. But on the other hand, they're still looking for a sporting director. Everything at Leverkusen is just so. It's a bit like a, a mini version of when Guardiola arrived at Bayern Munich. It's just, you coach the team. You do the philosophy bit. You don't have to think about anything else. I would want to believe, if I was Xabi Alonso, I would want to believe that everything upstairs is completely solid 
for me to go in and do the best that I possibly can in a job where you know, expectations will be massive because of who he is and because of the work that Klopp has done over the last nearly nine years. If you're a Leverkusen fan, Nicky, do do you, um, in terms of what you want to have in this season, do you have to be careful what you wish for? Because it feels (laughs) like, you know, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. I think in some ways that's less true because Klopp has put this out so early, right? I don't think, um, I, I can't imagine... Maybe I'm wrong, but I can't imagine if Liverpool are considering Alonso that they will sit there and think to themselves, well, if he doesn't win the league, we cancel it. You know, if he doesn't win immediately, that's off our shortlist. Yeah. So I don't think it really would affect that decision either way at this point. Um, so no, I think if you're a Leverkusen fan, you're loving every minute and hoping it's not another Neverkusen story. And you're realistic as well. You, yeah. you know, you you know where your club is in the in in, in the food chain. They're enjoying an incredible season both in terms of the results, but, but more the enjoyment. I mean, that's the feeling you got off this DFB Pokal game. There's just, what a moment for your club. It's just everything's so exciting. I think the thing that convinces people that Alonso could be the guy, whether it's for Liverpool or... It's, it's extraordinary, actually, to think of such a young coach who a substantial amount of people feel could be the man for any one of the three biggest clubs in three of the biggest clubs in the world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's remarkable to be in that position, but we have to take it all the way back and say, this is a guy who took over a, with no experience of top flight management, who took over a team that was second bottom in the Bundesliga. were all over the shop, had a squad that definitely wasn't built for the relegation scrap. And he managed to go through the stages of improving them, getting them out of the relegation zone then switching it up and making them challenge for stuff. And he's done it all in like less than two seasons. You know, he's only been in charge since October 2022. It's remarkable because normally, I think for any coach, it's tough when the parameters of a job change. And we've seen it with so many different coaches. You know, you could say whether it's Lampard or Mourinho or whoever else, but he has adapted to that. Mm. And I I think they play very different football now to when he first arrived. And for a, for a young coach with relatively little experience to be able to figure that out, to not just have, this is my philosophy and it's going to be fly or die. I think that's remarkable and that's the thing that's so convincing about Alonso. And that is maybe for the first time in a long time watching the Bundesliga, why you don't have a, a feeling of, oh, well, you know, they're just going to run out of gas and buy will take over and that'll be that. You know, obviously, I think everyone wants reasons to believe from this game at the weekend. But everything Xabi Alonso has done so far, I think, can lead you to believe. Has Nicky ever been wrong on OTC? I know you, <laughs> <laughs> you and I have. <laughs> oh, my God. But, well, we'll find out. No pressure. Well, talking of which, it's time for you both to suggest a game of the week. So, a lot Oh, of I've pressure. definitely been wrong about those sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what, how you do this time. Right, do, do you want to go first Yeah, on this? I can go first. Um, I, I'm going to go with Roma against Inter um, because uh, I think Roma are interesting right now. Daniele De Rossi obviously has replaced Jose Mourinho as manager. He's won his first three games in charge. Uh, I think after all the many, many conversations we had on this podcast about Roma's attachment to Mourinho and 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 what it was going to look like moving on from him, it's it's been really interesting to see them start quite emphatically under De Rossi. They won four 0 against Cagliari on Monday night. I I have a a strong hunch 
that that winning start is going to come to a, a an unambiguous end against Inter. I think <laughs> I think there is still a, a real quality gap. Having said that, having said that, they go to this game with the most important pieces healthy. Dybala's healthy, Lukaku's healthy. Lukaku might just have a point to prove against Inter. Pellegrini is scoring goals um, in a way that he wasn't under Mourinho. It, it's an interesting game on Saturday at five o'clock. And just for you, Dotting, because last time I was asked about the food to go with it. Yes. And you were unhappy with me because you said I never choose meat. <laughs> so I've made sure that I've, <laughs> I've chosen a meat dish this time, a bacchio, which is uh, like a Roman way of... of uh, of, of cooking a lamb chop it's generally a very specific kind of lamb very young and, and milk fed to get the real deal but it's it's a way of cooking the, the lamb chop with um browning it off at first with some oil and anchovies mm. and you cook it in a in a, a roasting pan with some wine and other bits added to that and then serve it with some little finely chopped roast potatoes i've never seen you scribbling so quickly <laughs> even when you're doing the running order look at the smile on my face <laughs> if it's good enough for the romans good enough for us i like to think. there we go what about a game of the week from you it's an obvious one we've kind of just been touching on it it has to be leverkusen versus bayern munich um saturday night um 5 30 um uk time the, the very much the the, the top spiel in in the the Bundesliga, that's when they have the the, the big games like their Super Sunday on the on the early Saturday evening, and there's so much to look forward to about this game. And um, of course, me and Archie Wintut are going to be doing a OTC reacts on it on Monday. So look on your feed for for, for that. Uh, Archie's going to be at the game. If you're going to eat something with this, well, this would be a bit impractical if you were at the game, but if you're at home. I would say go for a Schweinshaxer, which is a... Same to you, with knobs on. (laughs) Steady, you'll like it. It's a pork knuckle. Um, I do it very well in Cologne. And trust me, if you're going to Leverkusen, you're going to be staying in Cologne. Um, I think it's, it's, it's something that's like hearty. It's winter. It's, um, something that you can have any type of like sort of, potato dish or or like sauerkraut next to as, as as well celebrate the end of german winter with the best that germany has to offer do they not know how to spell vegetarianism there <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what actually last couple of times i've been to dortmund the um, amount of um vegetarian twists on traditional food has been very very impressive oh. a substantial uh, vegetarian menu we're not talking about you know british pub and veg lasagna or nachos in in the 90s this is they've made big strides well you don't want a game of the week recommendation from me but let me just say uh, this weekend there is a date uh, with destiny in uh, abidjan thank you for listening to on the continent make sure you join us again tomorrow for ask otc where we will be answering all of your questions about the latest news in the world of european football and do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. Are we really going to let you go without getting a food recommendation for the AFCON final? Well, Jollof rice, the Nigerian Jollof rice, please do not confuse it with any other Jollof rice from Ghana. Um, Well, you might confuse it with Jollof rice from uh, Senegal because, after all, that's where it comes from. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.